Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. We have a book entitled Understanding Behavioral Biases, a guide to improving financial decision-making, which is all about some of these biases that can undermine your performance and the uh, basis for those within our brains and how it impacts our lives. All right, and we are back with the Mental Models podcast. Uh, today, we're going to talk about something that um, has consumed mass psychology probably like n at no other time in history, and you undoubtedly have opinions about it, as do we. And we're talking, of course, about paper towels and other paper goods. That's right. Toilet paper, uh, napkins, Kleenex, things of that nature. All those things that immediately got bought up in bulk um, in crisis mode as soon as the pandemic started. So the easy psychological answer associated with it is that it was something that people could buy that they felt that they could have control of their lives with. Uh, so they were drawn to hoarding this tissue. But there's actually something more. Right. And the hoarding response um, is adaptive. If you think back to uh, times where people would have to make do in lean times, that's it's a strong instinct. And you see it across all different mammals, you know, so, uh, you know, pack rats, for example. And it's this, this adaptive response of trying to make sure that there are stores of food available uh, for the winter, I'm reminded just of uh, in my yard, we happen to have pecan trees and the squirrels go nuts in fall, taking the nuts and putting them, uh, they literally go nuts and put them all over the place that I get to find later with a rake. Right. And so, of course, here our circumstances is that we're in the middle of the COVID crisis. Uh, there's a lot of things that are changing in the environment that create opportunities uh, for psychological bias to creep into our behavior. And George, you had been researching the, the paper industry for, the, for quite a while before this hit. It is a place where I have some expertise. And tissue is particularly interesting uh, for a number of reasons because tissue is not cyclical. In fact, it's counter-cyclical. So if you think about tissue consumption, toilet paper, paper towels, uh, tissue, facial tissue, uh, it, it tends to be pretty consistent. In fact, it tends to grow with population growth. So in the United States, the population grows about 70 basis points a year. Strangely enough, we kind of actually see tissue growth a little bit higher than that, somewhere around 90 to 100 basis points or 1% a year that we see typically for annual tissue consumption growth. It seems like something we would constantly need kind of in large amounts. Right. And regardless of what type of financial condition there is, we don't consume less tissue because there's a recession. There's certain biological processes that are pretty demanding, and uh, we just don't tend to uh, avoid the use of tissue just because uh, times are a bit tough. We'll let you use your own imagination as to what those biological processes yes. are. Yes. But when we think about tissue, uh, there's there are costs associated with tissue. You have shipping costs, which are really quite high because if I put a crate of toilet tissue in a box, it's quite bulky despite not being very heavy. And I can only actually fill a 18-wheeler 
you know, a typical 52 foot trailer with about four tons of tissue, even though it can ship about 20 tons of tissue. And that fits with our experience in shopping markets where it's such a light product, but it consumes so much of the shopping cart. Correct. So what that means is that shipping costs tend to be quite high for tissues. So you can only be within a certain radius to have it profitably sold. When we have a recession, then other goods aren't being shipped as often. So shipping costs actually go down. There's not a huge margin associated with tissue. So that decrease in shipping costs actually tends to increase the margins associated with tissue. Also, there are chemicals that are used like caustic or chlorine that also have other economic uses that decline, and pulp. So if we think about pulp, pulp is used for writing paper. It's used for corrugated boxes, which tend to be more economically sensitive, tends to be about 60% of the cash cost of producing tissue. So pulp prices go down and margins expand during recession for tissue manufacturers. Yeah, I'm reminded of my dad worked at a paper mill briefly during his college years. And he said it was um, you had to be careful that you didn't outstrip the capacity of the others. They, it was such a uh, constant need. They kind of worked at a certain pace and you didn't make waves in the pulp factory. Yeah, they, these tend to be unionized. Uh, so you don't tend to get too much of a break on wages uh, during the, uh, uh, the recessions for pulp and paper and in particular in tissue. Uh, but here we have an interesting phenomenon. We have the hoarding that's occurred during the coronavirus. And I will argue that we've actually had a shift that's changing the dynamics of the tissue market from now looking forward. That is a secular change that uh, will perhaps make the economics of that business much more desirable than they've been in the past. George, you sound like you're starting the cult of the paper towel. Do, do tell. <laughs> continue. Well, let's think a little bit about the market for tissue. So if you go to an office building or a a college campus, uh, a restaurant, a hotel, you might notice that the tissue is not quite the same. You know, you go to an airport. In all of those instances, uh, you might see a giant roll of tissue paper that's in a lockbox And part of that is because people will actually steal tissue, believe it or not. And sometimes it'll be brown. It'll be recycled paper. That tissue is distinguishable from the tissue you buy in the grocery store. The tissue that you buy for home consumption is actually going to be made more with virgin fiber as opposed to recycled fiber. And it's made on a different machine. Because it's made on different machines and it's made with different fiber, uh, you can't interchange the two. Right. And no one would mistake their home tissue for business tissue or school tissue and vice versa. Right. And they're typically characterized as at-home tissue and away-from-home tissue. So there's a company that we've invested in called Clearwater Paper. And Clearwater Paper has two different businesses. They make SBS Paperboard. And I think we may have mentioned this before on the podcast. And they also make private label tissue. So another interesting fact that during recessions, the use of private label goods tend to go up, right? Also counter-cyclical. And that's because people look to save some money by avoiding a brand. Now, one of the problems associated with any private label product 
is the question as to whether the quality is as high for the private label product versus a branded product. And I can tell you that as far as tissue is concerned, they're pretty much identical. There's some variation from one private label versus another private label. But for the most part, when you look at things like softness and strength, they tend to be the same product. You know, I noticed a difference uh, back in March trying to buy toilet paper when there was a giant run on toilet paper. You were limited to pretty much buying maybe two packages. And I'd never seen these packages before that were available. It was no Sherman Ultra, you know, the 20 pack. It was like four rolls of some off brand that I, I didn't know existed. And that was all there was. Typically, you'll find that those are somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 40% less expensive than your typical tissue. In the United States, about 30% of the at-home tissue that is consumed is uh, private label. 25 to 30%, depending on what we're talking about. If it's paper towels or if it's bathroom tissue or uh, if it's facial tissue. But there's a great divide, in other words, between the at-home tissue and the away-from-home tissue. Exactly. But for the, the at-home tissue... Uh, only about a third is private label. In, in Europe, it's the opposite. About two-thirds is private label in Europe. Uh, and every recession, we see a jump in the use of private label. Normally, in the uh, United States, we see about 100 basis points of market share move from branded tissue, which would be uh, your, your Kleenexes, uh, your Charmins and, uh, you know, all of those brands that you grew up with, about 100 basis points or at 1% of the market shifts to private label. But during recession, it turns to about 3%. And that shift is not uh, occurring actively. It sounds like an earthquake. Uh, we are recording in my garage studio on another rainy day here in Dallas. So the thunder is just accompaniment in the background. Yes. Then we, we, we come to the crisis. So what's happened? Well, the reality is, is that since a third of tissue, and it's kind of, we have a lot of thirds here that we're talking about, but since a third of tissue is consumed away from home and people aren't going to the office, they aren't going to restaurants, they aren't going to airports, they aren't going to college campuses, uh, they aren't going to hotels, the away from home demand has declined significantly and you've seen a significant increase of uh, at-home tissue consumption. Now, some of it is hoarding because people, again, psychologically try to be in control of their environment. So uh, one of the way they express that is they buy and, and collect tissue. But the reality is, is they're using more because if you're at home, then you're using tissue at home and you're using that type. So the consumption of tissue actually has probably gone up 40 to 50% at home. When we look at the scanner data, the scanner data was actually up higher than that in March. It was up 100%. And then when we looked at the April scanner data, it's up 60%. The reason why I say that I think that with everything that has happened, we may see a secular shift towards at-home tissue demand, and particularly to private label tissue demand, is because people who, like you said, you didn't have any choice. You had to use a private label brand. It wasn't a brand new because that's all that was available. So now, Dan, that you have experienced the private label tissue, whatever opinion that you formed, to the extent the quality was not too dissimilar from the branded, if you go to the store and you see the branded for sale and you see the private label for sale 
and you notice that you can save 25 to 40 percent, you will probably be more likely to buy private label. Now, I don't know what your experience was with the private label you actually bought. I don't know either, George. It just kind of generally hit the circulation of our uh, of our paper goods. And I, I wasn't really tracking it that car- carefully. But I think there is some level of brand loyalty that many of us do experience. That's likely to probably continue if, if we have the choice. But it at least at the margin, it's probably eroded. Probably. Right? So there right, are people, right. particularly if, you, if you're out of work and you need to find places to save money, your willingness to switch to a private label brand is probably going to be a lot higher. Right. And we've talked about the possibility that some, some of these changes, more working from home, they were already kind of in the wings when this happened. And I think one of the experiences a lot of us have had is that meetings can be pretty efficient if they're done virtually. And uh, I, for one, am inclined to do more virtual meetings, even if in-person was an option. Indeed. And we've actually seen a number of companies like Facebook and Twitter say that they're not going to have uh, necessarily all their employees come back, that they're going to have some employees actually work from home on a permanent basis, which means that they're going to consume tissue at home. So you couple that with the fact that the unemployment rate will likely continue to stay elevated for some time. These things don't just change overnight. You're going to have a lot more people at home continuing to consume tissue at home. And and you can't just build a paper machine to uh, make at-home tissue overnight. It takes about two years to go through that process. So an industry that actually was plagued with some degree of overcapacity for the last couple of years is now being hit with a pretty massive shift in demand. And if it was just 5%, if there was just a 5% increase in demand going forward, that's enough to make tissue prices go up significantly and make that market very tight and make companies like Clearwater enter into an era of profitability that they'll probably enjoy for several years to come. Now, one trend related to all of this, I'm thinking of like airport bathrooms. There was a major trend away from paper goods in trying to really install, um, you know, those Dyson hand dryers, you know, very convenient uh, blow dryers in place of the paper goods. So I wonder, was there already some level of shift away from the industrial uh, type of paper um, leading up to this this change. There has been, I think, in fits and starts. I mean, there's questions about what's environmentally desirable. One of the reasons why I think you haven't seen a complete shift associated with something like that is if it's recycled paper, that tends to be a lot more reci- a lot more environmentally friendly. There's the energy associated with the hand dryer. There's energy associated with actually creating uh, even recycled paper, and there's a lot of water associated with creating tissue. So the environmental impacts, I think that there are some puts and takes on both sides. But for the most part, uh, I think that change, I mean, I can remember hand hand dryers uh, when I was a kid. You know, I think that change has been ongoing for some time. And we haven't quite gotten to public bodets uh, where, you know, you don't use any uh, bathroom tissue. No, we're a long way from that. Uh, It's interesting that you mentioned that because there's actually some shift in the opposite direction. So the other business that Clearwater has is SBS Paperboard. So SBS Paperboard is a packaging grade that's used uh, for paper plates 
paper cups, uh, for food containers. If you think about those things in the center aisle or frozen foods, uh, when you get a Red Baron's pizza, that probably comes in an SBS packaging board. If you get a carton of milk, that's probably in an SBS packaging board. Uh, or a Starbucks cup, that's also SBS. And Starbucks has recently said that they no longer will take the recyclable or reusable cups. They want to give you a new cup, and that will be an SBS paperboard cup going forward. Another fascinating trend. That's definitely one to watch. Indeed. Now, this isn't part of uh, Clearwater's business, but paper bags, uh, the brown sack craft, there is a move away from people bringing their own bags which was a, a trend that had been occurring in California and more so starting to see at Whole Foods and things of that nature. That trend is coming to an end because of biology associated with uh, possibly, you know, having the virus on your bag. Right. And also schools are online and may have some online component as well. And I would imagine lunch bagging is probably at an all time low. Yeah, that's true. That's a take <laughs> on the other side, though. I haven't seen people who use a lunch bag and in some time. It's not the most common way to eat. Yes. You know, I think this is interesting. There's a lot of different shifts that have occurred and there are psychological components associated with it. There are behavioral biases that we have. Uh, We tend to want to use things that we're familiar with. And in the case of private label tissue versus branded tissue, the power of a brand often comes from, you know, the reinforcement of a behavior that we've had in the past Uh, that it's led to a positive experience, or at least not a negative one. You know, you can think about this being ingrained in our survival mechanisms. You know, if you eat the the green berries, they may make you sick, so you won't eat them, but you eat the blueberries, and the blueberries are, they're tasty, and uh, they're nourishing. So there's actually a branding associated with blueberries versus the green berries. Right. And we we call that the status quo bias or the default effect. It's also been labeled that tendency to continue with a behavior that you've experienced in the past. It could certainly apply to branding. Um, And it avoids having to take a risk. It also is the lazier option, right? If you're going to buy the thing you're more familiar with just because it's the routine. And then, of course, as we talked about at the beginning of our uh, discussion here, is hoarding behavior. That too is a you know a psychological predisposition. It's a it's a fallback that we have. It's a bias. Yeah, and it may have been accelerated by the fact that people weren't really sure how long shelter-in-place rules would stay in, stay in effect, and so um, being more prepared than less is often a good response. So. Uh, there is some some value to hoarding. It tends to be used in a very pejorative way. Uh, you wouldn't want to be a hoarder, but um, under the right circumstances, you're the the person that's more prepared. Okay. Well, I think this about wraps this one up, and the wind is picking up, and uh, I'm actually having to fight to keep these papers that I have on on my table. Uh, more challenges in the COVID era. Uh, for us to bring to you the Mental Models podcast. And stormy weather coming here, so we're going to batten down the hatches. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a job. Please subscribe and like Mental Models podcast. The five-star book, Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision-Making, is available through Amazon. This book will help you overcome the biases that are keeping you from investing success.
The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please subscribe and thank you for listening.